I'm Susan, and this is The Darker Side of Things. Hello again, everyone, and thank you for joining me tonight. Um, I am by myself again. Uh, Rodney is uh, still recuperating from his surgery, so well wishes to him all across the board and his wife because she has to put up with him. (laughs) Um, But uh, so I don't really have uh, any business or news or anything like that to discuss other than, you know, Rodney's still recovering from the surgery. Um, He is expected to go back, I think, next week to do another consult so they can do the other leg for him. So hopefully uh, that'll get done soon and then he can, you know, be back with us and, and, uh, you know, we'll just keep trucking along. So tonight um, I found something interesting that I wanted to bring to you. Um, I found an article about... um, Egyptian mysteries. So I wanted to bring you three of those mysteries that um, I found pretty interesting. And the first one is, who was the famous Queen Nefertiri? Queen Nefertiri, the name translates to, a beautiful woman has come. She was a mysterious and powerful queen that was considered to be an iconic historical figure. As ancient Egyptians go, Queen Nefertiri was larger than life. She was the wife of King Akhenaten, who reigned in Egypt from 1353 through 1336 BCE, and that means before Common Era. Her participation, rather, it would help if I could, you know, learn how to talk. Her participation in the politics of the time as well as her involvement in administrative processes, catapulted her to the top of the list as far as Egyptian queens go. Today, she's widely known for her beauty. Disappearance of public records mentioning her, as well as her burial remains, having not yet been found, have raised several questions and theories about the last years of her life. It's believed that she was born in circa... 1370 BCE, her family's background remains a point of contention. The accepted belief is that she was of Egyptian origin and she was the cousin of her husband, the king. Yet some believe her father was a top advisor named I and that he was originally from royal lineage from northern Syrian Mitanni. In the end, her origins remain contested to this day. Regardless of her origins, historians tend to agree on her importance and relevance in ruling Egypt alongside her husband, the pharaoh, whose reign lasted from 1353 to 1336 BCE. She is credited, along with her husband, to have transformed the kingdom during her reign. The general consensus is that Nefertiri was a teenager when she wed the pharaoh. However, The precise date of their marriage is unknown. She has been nicknamed the ruler of the Nile, as well as 
the daughter of gods, due to the incredible power she had as queen in Egypt. Tracing her images, it appears they started when she became queen. The foremost images appear on the Thiban tombs of Perinefer, a royal butler, and Ramos, an important visor. The images show Nefertiri riding in a chariot with the king, embracing him as well as sitting on his knee, which is believed to be a sign of the genuine nature of their relationship. There have also been unearthed hieroglyphs, such as those from Armana, containing love poems written by her or written to her by the king. She's often depicted as a mother and wife who was well-beloved by her family and gave birth to six daughters. I can't even imagine living in a house with six daughters. Oh my gosh, talk about fighting. In the King Thiban Temple, her images appear to become more powerful as she had privileges like the king as she appeared to serve in the role of a priest and make offerings to Aton. Other representations show the power and beauty she was associated with. For example, appearing in her special blue gown, seeing the smiting ritual against female enemies of Egypt on a set of blocks from Luxor and Al-Ashamanyan. Legend has it that she created her own makeup from the Galena plant. She was also noted for being proud of her long neck. Perhaps one of the most iconic images we have of Nefertiri is that of a painted sandstone bust discovered around 1912 among the ruins of sculptor Thumtosa's workshop in Amarna. Today, it is in the Atolls Museum in Berlin, Germany. Her busted image is still iconic to this day. You may see it on lampshades, posters, keychains, and just about anything else you can think of. It is historically iconic as well because she was lost in history until a German archaeologist's archaeological mission led by Ludwig Borchardt discovered it. The most recognized legacy left by Nefertiri from her co-ruling of Egypt with her husband was the religious landscape of the area. It also led to transforming it politically and culturally. One such significant event was the moving of the capital to the modern-day Amarna during the fourth year of Akhenaten's reign. A year later, it's believed that Nefertiri added the title Nefer-Neferaten to her original name, changing her name's meaning to Beautiful are the beauties of Aten. A beautiful woman has come. Sounds to me like she was kind of a narcissist, but I do admire all that she was able to do during her reign because women of the time had little to no power. From the fourth or fifth years of the king's reign, the cult of Amun changed to Aten. Aten was the sun god and became important as a national god. Nefertiri played an important role in the new system. Evidence of that role was found relating to the shift in the religious system and depictions of her involvement in ceremonies as well as proceedings. The king and queen were viewed as a primeval first pair and a vessel for relaying Aten's blessings. 
The mystery surrounding Nefertiri's death remains with her body having yet to be found. Some believe she died right around the same time as her husband, but others believe she may have ruled the kingdom after his death. Due to the lack of records found after his 12-year reign, it's believed she died in 1336 BCE or 1334 BCE with discrepancies over the exact location, which could be next to her husband or not. Next, we have the famous King Tut or Tutankhamun. He was an Egyptian pharaoh who lived from around 1342 to 1323 BC. Tutankhaten was his first name, and it means the living image of Aten. And the name Tutankhamun means the living image of Amun. Aten and Amun were ancient Egyptian deities. King Tut's tomb was discovered in 1922 by Howard Carter almost by accident, and it was almost completely intact. It's believed that King Tut was born in Akhenaten, the capital of ancient Egypt. His father was known as Akhenaten, and his mother was his father's sister. Inner family marriage was commonplace during this time to keep lines pure. King Tut became king at the ripe old age of nine and married his half-sister, who was known as Moccasin Potten. He changed his name to Tutankhamun after taking the reign of king. It's been speculated that he was assassinated while others believe his death was the result of an accident. He became king when he was just a boy. Tutankhamun's father died when he was just seven. Two years later, he became pharaoh and married his half-sister. Since he was too young to judge independently, most of his decisions as king were made on his behalf by his visors. He also changed his religion. Before the rule of King Tut's father, Amun was the main deity worshipped by the Egyptians. During his father's reign, the sun god Aten was given more importance. However, King Tut reverted to the old religion once he became king. I, chief advisor, is believed to have been the driving influence in that decision. It's also the primary reason he changed his name. The act made him more popular among his subjects who weren't happy about the religion change by the previous king. It's also speculated that there was an assassin behind the king's death. Hormhev, one of Tut's chief advisors, and he is believed to be the one to have assassinated him. He became Pharaoh of Egypt after the death of the first successor of Tut. After coming to power, he ruined all available records of his predecessors and put his name in their places. To some extent, he succeeded. Had the chance discovery of Tut's tomb not been found, the reign would have been forgotten with time. It's also noted that Tut had a terrible accident while he was king. The accident shattered his ribs, damaged his internal organs, and broke his pelvis. The injuries he sustained were very similar to those you would get in a car accident in modern day. Since chariots were the type of transportation used during that time, it's believed he may have had an accident while racing one through the desert. Whether this is the primary reason has yet to be determined. 
There is another speculation about his death believed to be associated with malaria attacks and a broken bone disorder. Something not as well known, at least for me, was that it appears as if the king and his wife had twin daughters. Two twin daughters were discovered in his tomb. It was clear that the daughters were stillborn, and after DNA testing, it showed that one of the twins had a skeletal deformity. Another thing I didn't know was that Tut's mummified body appeared to be charred, as if it were burned or consumed in flames. According to archaeologists, black resins and oils in the coffin could have ignited due to exposure to oxygen and then burned the body. It's not known why those particular items were in his tomb. A strange dagger was also found in his tomb. It was made of meteorite metal. The dagger itself was still exceptionally sharp even after thousands of years. The origins of the dagger are a mystery, and there's controversy over it as well. The tests conducted on the dagger revealed it was made from a meteorite, obviously, because it was a meteorite metal. Because of this, it's believed it came from a more advanced civilization or, as others think, aliens. Another interesting fact about King Tut's mummy was that his heart was missing. According to ancient Egyptians, the heart was the organ used for reasoning and not the brain. Therefore, that particular organ was essential for the afterlife. The heart was typically preserved along with the mummy, but in Tut's case, it was missing. It's believed that when Tut died, He was too far away for the heart to have made the journey back without deteriorating before it could go through the embalming process with the rest of his body. It's because of this, it's believed, they had to have gotten rid of it, but no one knows for sure. I mean, how could they? Tut's burial jars were also unique. When the embalming process starts, body parts such as the lungs, intestines, stomach, and liver would be removed and placed in special jars called conopic jars. In ancient Egypt, it was believed that taking these organs with you was essential for the afterlife. Therefore, they had to be carefully preserved as well. These jars had lids that were carved to symbolize each of the sons of Horus, who were gods. The organs were kept in these jars. The uniqueness was that there were no carvings of any gods on Hutch jars, but rather his own likeness was carved instead. Interesting. Next, we have the Great Sphinx of Giza. Who built this massive statue? The statue is of a mythical creature having a lion's body and a human's head. It was created out of limestone on the Giza Plateau, located on the west bank of the Nile in Giza. The representation is probably that of King Khafra, who ruled the old kingdom of Egypt between 2558 and 2532 BCE. There is much debate surrounding the Sphinx and when it was built, by whom and for what purpose. Historians and scholars remain divided over who created it, but all agree It is one of the most impressive and largest sculptures in the world. There are theories galore attempting to answer these questions, but no answers as of yet. No one knows the name of the Sphinx either. 
There is no documentation that has ever been found giving any details on this whatsoever. In addition, there are no inscriptions found regarding the construction of the Sphinx or its purpose. The name Sphinx was given to it about 2,000 years ago, which is the commonly accepted date of its construction. It was known as Hormakhet during the New Kingdom of Egypt, giving it association with the god Horus. The name Sphinx is English and was borrowed from a Greek verb that translates to Greek Sphinx who killed those who failed to answer her riddle. The most popular belief is that what it was estimated to have been carved around 2500 BCE by Pharaoh Khafra, who built the Great Pyramid of Giza. Giza was probably chosen as the building site due to its popularity with the rulers during the early dynasty period of Egypt. King Khufu, who came to power in 2589 BCE, was good with stonework and chose Giza to showcase his work by building the Great Pyramid. His son Khafra would later place his own pyramid next to his father's. The Sphinx is credited to Khafra because the face most resembles him. There are theories that Khafra chose the Sphinx instead of a pyramid because the rock was considered to be unsuitable to make a pyramid complex. One would think that because the Sphinx is so well known today, that would be the case in antiquity. However, that is not the case. There is no mention of the Sphinx in Egyptian inscriptions or any materials that have been unearthed in Giza, so its origins are basically unknown unless something is found otherwise. It is noteworthy, though, that the statue is thought to have supernatural powers with tunnels beneath it that connect to a subterranean network. At any rate, no matter how you look at it, the Sphinx is a wonder of the world and more excavation is needed to discover more about it. I, for one, would love to go there someday to see all that Egypt has to offer. To go through the museums and see all that has been unearthed has been a childhood dream of mine. To actually be able to walk up and see the pyramids up close and in person would be mind-blowing. I can't even imagine how awesome that would be. Whenever a TV show comes on about Egypt, I plop my butt down on the couch and drink it all in. Several years ago where I live, they had an exhibit at one of the museums full of items from ancient Egypt, and you better believe I made a beeline straight to the museum. The history of it all was just so overwhelming. And when I left, I felt like I had been taken back in time. It was a great exhibit. So there you have it, folks. Three of the most mysterious people and things in Egypt. Granted, there are a lot more unsolved mysteries there. These three I find the most fascinating. I hope you all enjoyed this episode as much as I did, presenting it and researching it. I learned a lot. Stay safe, y'all. Keep it real. And stay away from the rabbit holes. They're dark and deep. One more thing before I go. I wanted to apologize for any pronunciations that I may have gotten wrong. 
Um, I do have braces and sometimes it's difficult to say things. So again, I apologize for the pronunciations of some of these words. They are Egyptian and I'm not Egyptian, so therefore I can't speak them very well. Anyway, thank you all again for listening and have a great night. Bye.